In the mid-first millennium CE, the sprawling Byzantine city of Constantinople was the cultural capital of the world. Within its ancient stone walls, people from Europe, Asia, and Africa met to exchange goods and ideas. The city was also perfect for clandestine meetings. In a dark laboratory deep beneath the busy streets, a group of philosophers collaborated on a scientific quest. They called themselves alchemists, and their goal was to control the natural world. In their secret lab, alchemists melted a pound of copper into a large vat. Then they added a strange red powder. They believed it could turn one metal into another through a process called transmutation. The alchemists watched as the powder mixed with the liquid metal. Then the transformation began. The copper's red-brown hue morphed into a bright yellow glow. The alchemists' eyes went wide with excitement. It looked like the copper was turning into gold. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we examine history's most compelling mysteries. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on alchemy, an ancient philosophy and precursor to pharmacology and chemistry. Over thousands of years, alchemists tried to turn metals into gold and obtain immortality. This time, we'll explore the origins of alchemy in ancient China. Then, we'll examine how secret alchemical knowledge spread westward through Egypt, Greece, and the Islamic Empire. Next episode, we'll investigate alchemy's expansion through Europe during the Middle Ages, until even renowned scientific thinkers like Isaac Newton studied its secrets. We'll also discuss why alchemy continues to fascinate philosophers to this day. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. 
If you're thinking of trying therapy, learn more at BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com. Since the dawn of humankind, people have searched for ways to change the world around them. From cave paintings and rock sculptures to massive towers and monuments, humans have shaped their surroundings into works of art. But humanity hasn't only transformed nature, we've also tried to control it. For example, early people saw lightning bolts strike trees and ignite them. Then, they learned to harness the power of flames for themselves. Fires set humanity apart from the rest of the animal kingdom and allowed us to create the tools to hunt and gather. As millions of years passed, the tools people used became more advanced. Instead of clubs and slingshots, hunters made swords and arrows. Eventually, people mastered copper, bronze, and iron tools, which they used to construct vast civilizations. Huge kingdoms arose along the Mediterranean, in Mesopotamia, and in Central Asia. They established communication and trade routes, which allowed them to share cultural ideas, pass along knowledge, and go to war. Technical innovation and scientific understanding advanced quickly. By 500 BCE, metal workers could do more than reshape metal into tools and weapons. They could combine ores. Those mixtures were called alloys, and they were often stronger than any individual metal, which made the weapons and other products more powerful. But some people believed that they could take their skills even further and change one metal into another. They imagined a common cheap ore like copper could become a rare and valuable metal like gold. Gold was extremely important within Chinese culture during the 3rd and 4th centuries BCE. It was used for jewelry and decoration and minted into coins for currency. And since gold doesn't rust or tarnish over time, it was also a symbol of wealth and good health. Many ancient Chinese scientists believed that metals grew from the ground, just like plants. But some posited that various metals naturally changed over time. Just as simple species could evolve into more complex animals over millions of years, maybe basic ores could become pure, untarnishable gold. Thus, alchemists believe they could create gold by speeding up this natural process. And the way to do that was to tap into the metals yin and yang. In traditional Chinese philosophy, yin and yang are the two opposing forces that drive all natural phenomena. People believed everything, including metals, contained an inherent amount of yin and yang. Ancient Chinese alchemists believed that gold had an abundance of yang. This force helped ward off evil influences inside and outside the body. The association between gold and longevity was so strong that many ancient Chinese people took pills or elixirs that contained gold. They believed these medications kept them healthy. But not all gold was considered good for consumption. Natural ore was seen as possibly tainted or poisonous. This idea wasn't completely without merit. Many heavy metals are toxic to humans and can be fatal when ingested. To make gold fit for human consumption, they relied on alchemists who could allegedly make a purer version out of other materials. 
This made alchemy an extremely valuable skill set, even if nobody knew exactly how it worked. Because every alchemist had their own style of alchemy. Various Chinese practitioners had backgrounds in metalworking, medicine, or spirituality. Some were exorcists, astrologers, or numerologists. They hid the methods and tools they used to create their elixirs from all but a select few. Even with their secrecy, the study of alchemy developed over generations and was widespread by the second century BCE. The primary branch of alchemy was called Wydon, which means external alchemy. Wydon focused on heating and combining metals and minerals into elixirs that prolonged life. Alchemists in China experimented widely with whatever metals and substances they could get their hands on. They smelted them, mixed them, and exposed them to vapors and chemicals. Basically, they were conducting ancient chemistry experiments. Through these studies, many practitioners claimed to find ways to purify natural gold. They also identified metals that resembled it, like pyrite, also known as fool's gold. These discoveries made Wydon a problem for the authorities, who needed gold to be scarce. If alchemists could produce infinite wealth out of nothing, the economy could collapse due to uncontrolled inflation. So, in 144 BCE, Chinese Emperor Jing issued an edict warning that anyone creating artificial gold without a royal license would be severely punished. This new law soon drove alchemists underground, where they worked alongside counterfeiters and thieves. However, ten years later, the throne passed to the emperor's son, Wu. He was more supportive of alchemy than his father, because he wanted to know the secrets for himself. If alchemists could control nature, then Wu was determined to control them. With the emperor's approval, alchemists became trusted advisors. Years passed, and Wu ordered them to pursue a new goal, finding the elixir of life. In 133 BCE, he met a traveling alchemist who offered him the secret to eternal life, a mineral called cinnabar. The alchemist claimed cinnabar could easily be made into gold. Sadly, Emperor Wu never managed to transmute his cinnabar. He died in 87 BCE. But these repeated failures didn't put a damper on the royal family's interest in alchemy. They believed that the key to immortality would be uncovered eventually. So for decades, other Chinese rulers employed teams of alchemists to keep them healthy. But that obsession with alchemy became their downfall. Because as the years went on, alchemy became a path to certain death. Coming up, Chinese alchemists wreak havoc on their royal patrons. Hi there, it's Carter from ParCast. If you haven't had a chance to check out the riveting true crime series Solved Murders, there's no better time to tune in. Throughout the month of August, Solved Murders is featuring four celebrations that took a turn for the deadly in a special series we're calling Party Fowls. From a murder in the New York nightclub scene and a house party gone horribly wrong, to a terrifying evening at the Tate residence and a sex party with sinister results. 
go deeper inside for affairs remembered for all the wrong reasons. And if you like what you hear with party fouls and want to uncover more of history's most captivating cases, be sure to follow Solved Murders on Spotify. There you'll find a new episode released every Wednesday. Solved Murders is a Spotify original from Parcast. Listen free only on Spotify. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Now, back to the story. 2,000 years ago in China, philosophers explored spirituality, medicine, and science through the art of alchemy. They were obsessed with the idea that they could transmute metals or turn them into gold. They believed if they could control the basic elements, they could control all of nature, including life and death. These alchemists focused on gold in particular because they believed it had the power to unlock immortality. But natural gold was rare and widely considered impure, so they tried to create it artificially. They often experimented with mercury and sulfur, two unique substances with very different properties. Mercury is a liquid metal, while sulfur burns easily. Alchemists saw them as opposites, like fire and water, yin and yang, or male and female. Additionally, ancient Chinese medicine included the concept of qi, or a life force in the blood. They believed that most illnesses were caused by a deficiency of qi, which led to an imbalance of yin and yang. Concepts like qi and yin and yang came from spiritual beliefs, especially astrology. Alchemists believed that cosmic spirits determined whether their elixirs would work, so they only made and consumed them when the stars were in an auspicious position. This melting pot of beliefs made alchemy a strange, inexplicable science. Still, the practitioners believed they could combine philosophies the same way they combined elements in the pursuit of truth and knowledge. But there was one major problem. The elixirs they made were often poisonous. Most heavy metals are dangerous to ingest, especially the ones that the alchemists used. They regularly drank mercury, lead, and small amounts of arsenic, all of which are very toxic. For example, mercury is corrosive, can rip holes in the intestines, and cause kidney failure. Prolonged exposure can lead to muscle weakness, headaches, and death. But the alchemists in ancient China didn't know that. Even worse, they ignored the evidence that they were poisoning themselves. Alchemists regularly wrote off their illnesses as harmless side effects from their potions. In fact, they thought their symptoms were proof that the elixirs were working. As alchemists became more prominent in the Chinese royal court, it wasn't long before their poisons took a prominent victim, Emperor Qin Shi Huang. 
As a 3rd century BCE ruler, Huang had the resources to hire the best doctors, philosophers, and alchemists in the nation. According to legend, on their advice, he ingested strange elixirs and pills right until he died at age 49, most likely from mercury poisoning. He'd been so fascinated by the element that a large artificial river of liquid mercury was constructed to surround Qin Shi Huang's massive tomb. It's so dangerous that modern archaeologists haven't been able to explore it in full. This may sound like a cautionary tale, but Qin Shi Huang's successors continued to dabble in alchemy. 600 years after his death, Emperor Ai of the Jin Dynasty was terrified of dying. The previous two emperors, his uncle and cousin, both died before their 23rd birthday. At age 24, Emperor Ai turned to alchemy to keep him alive, even though he seemed perfectly healthy. By this time, the alchemists knew that pure mercury was dangerous. So they experimented with other secret metals for their potent brews. But as soon as Emperor Ai started drinking the elixirs, his good health took a turn for the worse, and he soon died. In his zeal to avoid an early death, Emperor Ai had sealed his own fate, and alchemy was the culprit. After Ai's demise, the public's attitudes changed. Finally, the royal family recognized that alchemists couldn't keep them healthy. As the tides turned against them, practitioners found new ways to explore their studies without royal approval or support. Over several centuries, Chinese alchemy became more organized, less secretive, and more spiritual. Alchemists organized into schools devoted to deep study and large-scale experiments to unlock immortality. They mixed their scientific study with their religious beliefs until the two were completely enmeshed. Their science required faith, and their faith was reflected in their science. For example, alchemists often spoke of the spirits that dwelled in metals and the supernatural forces that guided alchemical processes. Many alchemists performed elaborate religious rituals as they practiced their craft. They fasted to purify the body before trying to transmute metals. Some climbed mountains to get closer to heaven when they performed experiments. Others prayed into fire to gain the gods' favor. Yet others took a more scientific approach. They still made elixirs, but used plants and herbs instead of metals. They became the first pharmacists. As new medicines emerged and Chinese people continued to distrust alchemy, the mystical science moved west. It found new adherents in India, Persia, the Middle East, and within the borders of the sprawling Roman Empire. Roman-era alchemists had their own unique influences. They combined the spiritualist principles from China with Greek philosophy and science. Ancient Greek philosophers like Aristotle and Democritus wrote that all matter was made of the same single element which had several different forms. Aristotle called this hypothetical substance prime matter. It may help to picture ordinary matter as an ice sculpture, and prime matter is water. You can freeze water into a block of ice and carve it into whatever shape you'd like. And if you aren't happy with the final product, you can always melt it down, refreeze it, and start over again. 
this was the reverse of the Chinese belief that metals could evolve into something better. Mediterranean alchemists believed they could revert something back into prime matter. Then they could reshape it into anything they wanted, like gold. As concepts like these caught on, the general public became fascinated with alchemy and those who claimed to know its secrets. During the first century CE, students flocked to an academy in the famous Egyptian city of Alexandria. A woman there named Maria Hebrea promised to teach them the secrets of her craft. Some thought she was a Jewish prophet. Others believed her to be a witch. Most importantly, today she's known as the first Western alchemist. Maria's alchemical spiritual beliefs differed from those which came from China. She claimed to receive messages from God and blended her prophetic spirituality with other philosophical ideas. Maria also believed that she could harness the spiritual powers of heaven and earth to control that prime matter and essentially become a god. She taught that base metals were composed of four elements, fire, water, earth, and air. Like the Chinese alchemists before her, Maria held that some elements had male or female aspects. She argued that by bringing male and female materials together, an alchemist could create gold. That might sound unscientific to modern audiences, but Maria's lessons led to real breakthroughs. She invented a hot water bath, which was used to purify liquid. Called a bain marie it's still used today in science and cooking. Without it, you'd never get to eat a creme brulee. But besides her invention of the bain marie very little about Maria's life or teachings survived to this day. Some historians argued that she wasn't even an alchemist. Perhaps she was a prominent chemist whose teachings were co-opted by later practitioners who wanted their theories to feel more ancient and credible. It's hard to say because most of what we know about her was written centuries after her death. And many of those writings came from an alchemist named Zosimos of Panopolis. He allegedly drew from Maria's findings to support his own radical ideas about tapping into the secret power of the universe. Zosimos was a Greco-Egyptian alchemist who lived sometime around 400 CE. Like the Chinese alchemists before him, Zosimos believed that transmutation could produce wealth and spiritual fulfillment. He wrote the first major book of alchemy, a 28-volume work called Alchemical Matters. Only a few pages of his magnum opus survived to the modern day, but they included detailed descriptions of how the alchemists worked at their craft. He explained the tools, methods, and theories alchemists invented to make natural substances bend to their will. He detailed findings that ranged from the scientifically sound to the impossible. For example, Zosimos wrote about fusing copper and zinc into brass, a real chemical process. But he also claimed he could turn copper into silver using arsenic and mercury, in defiance of our modern understanding of physics. He exposed one solid metal to the vapors from another, making the metal change color. A real-world example of this is oxidation, in which metal reacts to oxygen over time. For example, the Statue of Liberty was originally orange-gold, but today it's green, 
Oxidation, or similar processes involving combinations of gases and metals, was a key part of Zosimos' experiments. But it wasn't true transmutation. The original metal didn't become another metal. However, Zosimos claimed that he unlocked that secret, too. His books included long digressions describing surreal dreams in which he met men made of various metals. Zosimos spoke to the men before and after they were dismembered and killed. He claimed that these strange passages weren't really dreams. They were veiled descriptions of the transmutation process. He wanted to share his knowledge with his fellow alchemists and students, but not in a way that just anyone could understand. Zosimos was also secretive about the ingredients he used in his transmutation experiments. He used something called the water of sulfur, sometimes translated as the divine water. These were both code words. Zosimos never explained what the divine water was or how to make it. He also gave multiple contradictory examples of its uses, probably to intentionally confuse readers. He believed only a trusted few should know the truth, because his final secret was allegedly the most powerful alchemical principle of all. According to Zosimos, the key to alchemy didn't lie in a specific metal or in a complicated scientific apparatus. It was a single object of mysterious and ancient origin. Zosimos described it through a series of riddles. For example, he called it a, quote, thing of many shapes that has no shape. This powerful item was the legendary philosopher's stone, and the quest to find it consumed alchemists for another thousand years. Coming up, alchemists search for the philosopher's stone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Now, back to the story. Two thousand years ago, ancient Chinese alchemists tried to cheat death. They created metallic elixirs for their royal patrons and killed several in the process. Centuries later, in Roman Egypt, alchemists combined Greek philosophy and early chemistry in their quest to turn base metals into gold. But they never achieved transmutation. A 4th-century alchemist named Zosimos claimed this was because the process required the Philosopher's Stone. According to Zosimos, the history of the Philosopher's Stone had ties to biblical accounts. He claimed that when angels descended to earth and took earthly wives, as described in the book of Genesis, 
They taught women how to construct the Philosopher's Stone. And Zosimos believed that the biblical patriarchs had access to it. This explained why figures like Noah, Abraham, and Jacob all supposedly lived for hundreds of years. Later, alchemists took this to mean that the stone wasn't only necessary to create gold, it might also be the key to immortality. In the centuries after Zosimos' death, alchemists built on his claims and integrated alchemy into their religious beliefs. They believed that the forbidden fruit from the Garden of Eden and the Holy Grail, a legendary cup that reportedly held Jesus Christ's blood, were both actually the Philosopher's Stone. Of course, nobody knew where the fruit or the Holy Grail were. The Philosopher's Stone seemed to be missing. And that may have been because the Philosopher's Stone didn't really exist. At least, not how Zosimos described it. The stone might have been a metaphor. In the 7th century CE, an alchemist named Stephanos of Alexandria compiled eight lessons into a book titled The Great and Sacred Art of Making Gold. His ideas were less scientific and more philosophical than Zosimos's. According to Stephanos, transmutation wasn't a physical transformation as much as a spiritual one. Stephanos saw the physical appearance of a metal, or its body, as distinct from the metal's elemental essence, or soul. Stephanos sought to separate the metal's body from its soul and achieve spiritual transmutation. In other words, gold wasn't only valuable because it was a precious, pretty rock. It also had an innate, intangible goodness. A skilled alchemist could capture the gold's soul, its virtue, without necessarily having a physical piece of ore. Stephanos and his students introduced this version of alchemy to the Islamic Empire, which was founded after the Prophet Muhammad's death in 632 CE. Over the next century, the territory expanded until it stretched from the eastern Mediterranean to southern Spain. By 700 CE, it became the dominant force in the region, and alchemy had spread alongside the empire. Muslim scholars picked up where Zosimos and Stephanos had left off. The most prominent alchemist was an 8th-century mysterious figure named Jabir ibn Hayyan. While very little is known about his life, there are almost 3,000 books attributed to Jabir. Their topics range from alchemy to chemistry and philosophy. Jabir was influenced by ancient Chinese and Greek alchemists. He believed that all matter in existence could be boiled down to its base components. But Jabir also wrote that all metals, including gold, come from the same source, a combination of mercury and sulfur. Jabir was certain that these two elements could be combined in just the right way and unlock the secrets of transmutation. As he explored his theories, Jabir made major contributions to the field of chemistry. He invented several instruments for distillation and discovered hydrochloric and nitric acids. He even combined two acids into aqua regia, a solution that could dissolve gold. This was an important breakthrough for Jabir and all the alchemists of his era. If they could dissolve gold in their laboratories, they believed they could just as easily create it. Transmutation seemed to be within their grasp. 
but this information was too dangerous for the general public. So, following in the footsteps of Zosimos, Jabir shrouded his alchemical knowledge in secrecy. His writings were often opaque, allegorical, or highly technical. His convoluted style was so infamous that Jabir's name became the origin of the word gibberish. Jabir claimed that he seeded bits and pieces of his knowledge across all his writings. If you wanted to unlock alchemical secrets, you'd have to pour over thousands of pages. And within those dense metaphorical passages, you might find allusions to a new clue that Jabir claimed he'd discovered, the key to creating a philosopher's stone. It was called the Emerald Tablet. It's not clear if the tablet was ever real. There are no definitive records of anyone owning it or reading it. But in the 9th century CE, several Arabic-language books published passages that allegedly quoted from it. According to these possible experts, the tablet's text was authored by Hermes Trismegistus, a mythic figure from Greek-Egyptian lore. But some believe the tablet originated with the Babylonians, the ancient Greeks, or even with the original Chinese alchemists. The full text of the Emerald Tablet was only around 15 lines long, depending on the translation. But according to stories, some ancient alchemists used the tablet to discover the secret of transmutation. Several Arabic authors from the 9th century said they saw these very transformations with their own eyes. One tale described the Byzantine emperor impressing his guests by mixing red and white powders into molten lead and copper to create silver and gold. The powders had supposedly come from the philosopher's stone. But by the 11th century, scientists had become very skeptical of the idea of transmutation. Accounts like the one of the Byzantine emperor were regarded more as folklore and rumor than fact. Some even questioned whether Jabir ibn Hayyan had ever existed. Just like it had in China, alchemy fell out of favor in the Islamic empire. Schools dedicated to the craft slowly shifted away from the mystical and towards the scientific. Scientists who were once called alchemists became pharmacists and chemists, and the quest to create gold became physics and chemical science. But the massive troves of alchemical literature didn't disappear. Nor did the study of alchemy. It simply found a new group of students in Europe. In the Middle Ages, ideas of transmutation and the Philosopher's Stone excited a new generation of philosophers. The ancient knowledge enthralled them with its promises of wealth and eternal life. And it wasn't a moment too soon. Europe was about to face the single deadliest event in human history, the bubonic plague. And only alchemy seemed to have the power to save the continent. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next time with part two of The Mystery of Alchemy. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. 
Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ryan Lee, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. Hi, listeners. It's Carter. Here's a quick reminder to check out the Solved Murders four-part special Party Fowls. Every Wednesday in August, take a closer look at four celebrations that ended in horrific fashion. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Solved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify.